Hello and welcome to Cruising Through History. My name is Xander. I'm sitting here with Scott Cruz. Scott, where are we cruising through today? I thought I'd talk about an, a sort of an unknown or forgotten aspect of World War II. Okay. And that is something called Operation Underworld, which was a sort of a collaboration between the U.S. government and the mafia. Where do they keep getting these ideas and names? The last operation we talked about is mincemeat. And now we're talking about Underworld. And right. it's even seems even more outlandish. <laughs> yes. Um, and the story yeah. it gets a little outlandish as you go on. And it's funny because this also involved Operation Husky, which was involved in Operation Mincemeat, the invasion oh of Sicily. Okay. So where, where do we get started here? Well, okay. So on February 9th, 1942... There was a ship called the SS Normandy, kind of ironic, that was uh, started on fire in New York Harbor. It was a captured French passenger ship, and they were converting it into a troop ship. And so the, the, sh- the ship caught on fire and sank. But what happened was a, a man named Albert Antanasia, who was a mafia figure in New York City, he claimed that they had sabotaged it. Now, it turns out subsequently that no one sabotaged it. It just lit on fire. The, there were no acts of spies that lit it on fire. There were no underworld figures that lit it on fire. Later, it was found out that an acetylene torch had sparked and started this whole conflagration and sank the ship, quite literally. <laughs> so, But the Navy didn't think it was an accident. So this this everything's beginning with a bunch of showboating and a misunderstanding. In in some ways, yes. What happened was now you gotta remember the context of when this was going on. In early nineteen forty two, the United States had just been uh, wiped out in Pearl Harbor. The Allies were not doing well. Uh, the, so the Germans were sinking a ton of Allied shipping on the Atlantic coast, even coming as close as New York City. And, of course, in New York City, they never went into blackouts, so, of course, the ships were always silhouetted, and they were easy targets for German subs. So a man named Commander uh, Charles Hessen, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> some reason I forgot his name. So he, this guy, he, he thought... Well, who could help us with this? And his name was Haffenden. Sorry. And they thought, well, who controls the docks? And they found a lot of underworld figures who had controlled the docks, and they controlled the unions that worked at the docks. Okay. But then it's an issue with, like, German subs at this point, right? So how, how in the world does the mafia right. deal with that? Well, they went and they, they, they made contact with a guy named Joseph Lanza. Whose, whose nickname was Socks. I mean, you, this is just so great. And they called him Socks, not because he liked to wear socks, because he was pretty much a bruiser. Okay. Like he would sock him. Like yes, he idea. would. If you disagreed with one of his edicts, they weren't very subtle. Okay. Let's just put it that way. And so he actually ran the Fulton Fish Market in New York City, which was on the waterfront. But he also controlled the, the seafood unions and all that. From all up and down the coast. I mean, it was a fairly large... And the fishing boats. Okay. 
So they contacted him because they thought, well, maybe the fishing fleets could be a lookout for if there were subs refueling or getting supplies from somebody. Oh, so it's less, you know, dealing with it and more we need eyes. And this guy has a lot of eyes on this coast. Yes, that's pretty much what it was. And there was also the public thought it was Axis sabotage. Because in September of 1941, um, members of what was called the Duquesne spy ring were put on trial in New York City. And it's really funny because the guy who was the head of it was named Frederick Jobert Duquesne. Well, you think he's French. Mm-hmm. Well, he's actually a South African boar who was working with the Germans. And he had this spy ring. But the problem was that there, in, within this spy ring, there was a man named William Siebold who was forced by the Germans to join this. So when he got to America, he said, nope. So he went right to the FBI and said, guess what? They, they want me to be an agent. So he became a double agent. So the FBI had infiltrated this thing a year and a half before they brought all these people to trial. So they knew exactly what was going on. So with those things happening, I think that's why there was this clamor for something to be done. Mm-hmm. Even though the Normandy just lit on fire on its own, well, not on its own, but by accident, that's why these things were going on that people were thinking, well, we've got to get control of the waterfront because we can, not only can we not have sabotage, we can't have strikes going on. We have to keep the supply chain moving, and we have to have people on the lookout for enemy subs and that kind of thing. I mean, it sounds a little, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was all about perception. Yes. It, it wasn't, it had nothing, to, it had nothing to do with an actual enemy. It had to do with, right. we feel unsafe. Uh, this thing happened that had really had nothing right. to do with uh, what was going on in the world. Right. But we feel like we need this because we want right. to ensure that we're strong and safe and all right. that. And after ass. the war, there was never any evidence found on either side that either Axis spies did this or the underworld did this. Mm-hmm. So, and, and uh, that guy's name was Haffenden. I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep forgetting it. He was the guy who started running this whole operation. Well, the problem with Joseph Lanza was that he, he only controlled, he controlled a lot, mm-hmm. but he couldn't cross certain boundaries because of his position. He was part of the Luciano crime family. And if there was a different family, he couldn't yep. go on their territory. Even though he was well-liked by the Luciano family, the other four families didn't like him at all. Of course. So he said, who can I get? We've got to get somebody who controls this entire thing. Hey, lucky Luciano is sitting in prison. Let's get him. He controls the waterfront. He was also doing 30 to 50 years for prostitution racketeering. So the, there's a lot of names in this, and so I'll just keep them to the main players. Meyer Lansky, who is known as the mob accountant, that's a great name. They contacted him, and he got them into contact with Luciano, who was in, and, and some of our listeners will know who Lucky Luciano was. He's a famous gangster, if you will. And um, they got in contact with him in prison. He agreed to do it. Huh. It's funny how they got their agreement, because these guys normally didn't trust these 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 agents. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. It's like, wh- what's in it for these guys to... Be helping um, 
helping the government. Well, we'll see how it helped Luciano, actually. Okay. To, to do it. I think that was always his intent. Um, well, well, but the program originally got off to a bumpy start because the, the idea of the Navy was, well, let's just send a bunch of these Ivy, educated, Ivy League-educated agents down to the waterfront, do their best Jimmy Cagney impersonations, and we'll get all this information. Well, they didn't realize that these guys were toughs. They weren't, and they didn't talk to a lot of outsiders. And if you were too nosy, you usually got a gaff beating. You didn't get information. Mm-hmm. So what this Lanza was able to also give these agents were union cards to get on ships. They were also able to get in the buildings because, like, through the elevators union, operators union and everything, you know, remember the old elevator operator? Yep. So they were able to get into these places. And so these naval agents became, like, safe crackers, and one was an expert on breaking and entering. I mean, the whole thing starts to get totally outlandish, really. So... Um, now they'll always argue and say, well, you know, after this happened, there weren't any more fires or sabotage. Well, that doesn't prove that it worked really, because like you said, it's perception. It's perception. It was an accident, but they really, Joseph Lanza really got into his role as a secret agent. He even got on, went on the boats with guys Jeez. and he pretty much told them, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to get us information. And you're going to report it to us. And if we find out you're not, it's going to be bad. And, and the problem with the Navy here is I think they're really starting to, they know some of these things are going on. And uh, so, so I think the, the program, I don't think the program got out of hand per se. It's not like these guys were off doing murders while they were doing this. But I also think that, you know, it's hard to say what motivation there was. Now, for Luciano, there was, because he thought he could get his sentence commuted if he did this. Yeah, 30 to 50 years is no laughing matter. And he had just started it. I mean, well, he was sentenced like in 1936, so this was only five years, when all, or six years, when all this happened. But Luciano, he also had connections in Sicily. Which, that's an interesting connection that they'd get... Luciano for this because mm-hmm. Italy being part of Axis for this time. So, right, and so they were thinking for some reason the United States Navy didn't know much about the island of Sicily, and they knew that there was going to be a landing there. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was the, the, the they they sort of ha- had another unit, this unit that was working. It was called the B three Special Securities Unit that Haffenden was in charge of. They started to do things in preparation of the invasion of Sicily because there were a lot of, there was some trepidation about how loyal some of these mobsters would be because they were, a lot of them were basically, they were Italian citizens, they, mm-hmm. U.S. citizens. Because in 1937, one of the Genovese uh, gangsters went to Italy. He had befriended Count Galeazzo Siano, who was Mussolini's son-in-law. And so there was some worry that, I don't know, I mean, these guys are sort of comporting with Mussolini. How are, I don't know if they're going to help us at all. There's already, like, they're, ma- they're mafia. <laughs> like, there, there's not already not going to be a lot of trust. And then that there, a right. lot of them are Italian, Italian citizens, came uh, from Italy, migrated. It's like, hmm, you know, 
how's the Navy really trusting all of this? Right. And and, but then it turns out after some investigation that this Genovese was just a outlier because funnily enough, Mussolini was, he cracked down on the mob in Sicily. He was, he was shutting down their operations. He was blowing people up. I mean, they were, there was really a war on them. So the mafia themselves became some of the biggest anti-fascist ironically in the war. because they wanted to they wanted to get back at Mussolini for what he was doing because a lot of them had actually left Italy and came to America and they may have lost families, land, all sorts of people that are their friends right. while they came over to the US. Right. So they, Yeah, so they wanted to really get back at Mussolini and they thought this was their way. Mm-hmm. I mean, was where there's a lot of I mean, was a lot of this done by patriotism probably not. Self-interest is always a, a, a starter for a lot of people. In a very United States way, yeah. <laughs> but like I said with Lanza, he was sort of getting into this whole thing about being a secret agent. I mean, he was like on cloud nine that he was doing all this stuff. He I was mean, also facing extortion charges, too. So. I mean, you imagine, you know, you're sitting in jail and you're like, hey, I want to be a secret agent. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like uh, would you say no? Well, it depends on what, I, what I'm doing. Right. right. So... Um, so what they do is Luciano enlists the help of a guy named Joe Adonis, again with the name, it's so great. And he thinks, okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to start hauling people in here who are from Sicily that live here in America now, up to the point where they kidnapped a guy who was a mayor of one of the villages in Sicily and brought him to the offices of the National, of the Naval, Naval Intelligence Office. I mean, I think there's some lines being crossed here. You know, but they can say it's the mafia, not the navy. Right. That's, I mean, that that's the also benefit of this. And here's and these guys are really reluctant to talk because you got to remember, a lot of these people didn't trust authority. I mean, I wouldn't trust it either. Mm-hmm. You know, in living in what they probably came from to here. So here's what Joe Adonis would do. He'd say, "Well, I'll tell you what, Lucky wants you guys to talk." That was Luciano because they knew him. And if they still didn't talk, he'd say, "Well, you know what." Lucky's going to be really disappointed that you didn't talk to us. I, li- I like the language of just, it's going to be disappointed. There was no yelling. There was no nothing. It was laid out for him, and everyone talked after that. In wow. fact, the threats worked. The information started rolling in, as they say. It's not even a threat, too. It's a, he's going to be disappointed. Like, right. it's kind of the, the vibe of, like. And, and disappointed uh, usually meant a savage beating for you or something. So, and they knew it. I mean, they knew what they knew what, what what's what. Mm-hmm. So they were going to cooperate. There was no not cooperating. But you know, we talk about fine lines and that. And there is an example of a man named Harry Bridges, who was a West Coast union organizer, who thought, "I'm going to go to New York and start stirring the pot." Well, I don't think he knew any of this was going on. No one really did. And boy, oh boy, that didn't end well for him. But there's actually a, a one of the wiretaps. Had, had, had happened in talking to Lanza, and he said, how about that Brooklyn Bridge thing? I mean, they're already talking. Like, you hear, like, if you ever watch the movie Goodfellas, they always refer to, you mean that thing downtown? No, that thing over, you know, they're always very, you know, mm-hmm. evasive. I don't want any trouble on the waterfront during these crucial times. And Lanza says to him, you won't have any. I'll see to that. Well, what happened was this, this, Harry, uh, this, uh, Bridges character, Harry Bridges, maybe that's why he said Brooklyn Bridge. So he got savagely beaten and he immediately 
left New York and went back to the West Coast, and there was no more union trouble after that. Okay. So you, I guess you could say it kind of worked there, but I mean, I mean, you had to know when he said, I'll take care of it, what they were going to do. They mm-hmm. weren't going to sort of politely tell him to leave town or ask him. They were going to make sure he left town, and he did. So, but I think of these, I think of all this, and I think, my goodness. <laughs> And I didn't know a lot of this or basically any of this until I started. There's an excellent book, actually. It just came out called Operation Underworld by Matthew Black. And it's one of the few books that's actually written on this subject. It's very similar in some ways to our one of our earliest podcasts about mustard gas mm-hmm. and how secretive that was. And we didn't know till years later. That's the same thing with this. Well, I'd imagine it would be terrible press for the Navy to be caught working with the mafia and then even worse press if it was because of a bunch of hoopla. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, how, I, I, they wouldn't have known that no one sunk that boat. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't, no one did right. it. But right. it wouldn't be good if it got out that, oh, the Navy worked with the Mafia. There's been savage beatings. There's <laughs> been tighter controls. They're right. going mad with power. <laughs> right. And it's all for nothing. And you almost think, and they're probably thinking, I can act with impunity. I mean, I'm working for the government now. I, we're not worried. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep running our stuff. And they had to have been. I mean, I, I don't think they stopped operations just because some of them were working on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, like I said, they got them. So they got the information for the uh, Operation Husky, which was the invasion of Sicily. Yep. We talked about that in Operation Mincemeat. All these operations are got these crazy names. So um, they were able to actually get a lot of topographical information that they didn't have. So they were able to take all this information and draw these maps. And uh, and they knew of a – they were given names of contacts on the island that they got from these underworld figures of people they knew. Um, and then there was a – there was a – there was a event where they went – some of the some of these contacts pointed out where this naval office was for the Italian Navy, so they went in, just a small commando unit with some of these locals and and some of the guys from opera, some of the Navy guys from Operation Underworld have been working in New York, and they got they blew the safe the safe cracker blew the safe, got all the codes and all the maps and everything and so got all that information and all of that's in part due to Operation Underworld. Yes, it's funny because they got more information, I think, for Sicily. Yeah, the things that the docks were controlled, I guess. So I guess, like I said, well, was it controlled because it worked? Or was it controlled because there weren't a lot of troubles? There were always union troubles. But the thing was, Lanza could always step in and stop them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was their biggest concern. Yeah. I mean, if you if you had a massive, you know, mafia uprising, union uprising in New York, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> right during the middle of World War II, I mean, that's going to be trouble. Right. So, you know, as we know, the invasion of Sicily was successful. The Allies captured Messina in 1943, and then basically the Sicilian operation ended like about 10 days later in August of 43. And when that ends, Project Operation Underworld pretty much ends too. Oh, so all that... You know, control of the docks, the adding of people, the contacts, all that starts fizzling away. Yeah, and the Navy immediately burns all their documents 
that they ever involved in this. Wow. That didn't work very well now, did it? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so, so what happened then? Yeah, the aftermath of this is almost as interesting as the whole thing because so Luciano, he applies to the government for clemency. He wants his prison sentence commuted because he claims I worked with the government. I gave him all this information, all these contacts. I was instrumental in the invasion of Sicily. In fact, he even wanted to be parachuted onto Sicily. Luckily, someone said, no, that's a terrible idea. Let's not do that because we already don't want to know we have ties with this guy. So, But Thomas Dewey, who was then the governor of New York, we remember him for the Dewey Defeats Truman 1948 famous uh, newspaper. So at the time, he's governor of New York. He commutes his sentence. But on, on the condition that Luciano accepts deportation. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So in uh, 1946, Luciano is deported, and he goes back to Sicily. Of course, about five years later, he goes to Cuba. So, And he dies in 1962. For some reason, I can't remember what happened to him after he went to Cuba. I don't think he came back to America. But the reason this is interesting is because in 1950, when Governor Dewey ran for re-election, this came up. Somehow someone knew because this came up as an issue. Not a huge issue, but kind of one. And so and that, that would mean that, you know, of course it would be an issue because, you know, you're helping a mafioso who, you know, is going to be doing terrible things, very illegal things. <sighs> Right. Commuted the sentence, you kind of shook hands with him and let him go. Right. And, and the thing is, he can't really say why he commuted his sentence. Yeah, the federal government would be like, So it no. looks bad for him. And in 1951, there were these famous, uh, Estes Kivover was a senator. He had these famous um, hearings on organized crime, which we'd see later with Robert Kennedy in the later 50s. And some of them said, well, you know, they're... Some of them's copped to it, and they said, you know, their, their, their contributions were negligible. We didn't really, you know, blah, blah, blah. We didn't have many, okay. So. And then finally, there was an assemblyman or somebody in the state of New York who accuses Dewey in 1954, saying, well, there must have been a payoff or something. Well, Dewey was so enraged by this, he finally said, listen, here's what we're going to do. So he, he, he gets this commission going, and it's headed by a man named William Herland, in 1954 and so William Herland he says I want you to investigate this to see if I was justified in releasing him because now he's thinking maybe I you know maybe I commuted this guy's sentence and he didn't really do much so William Herland comes up with the Herland report and it's actually online I was reading some of it the other day it doesn't make for scintillating reading <laughs> but one thing I found in my couple of pages I perused it was that not only was Luciano's sentence commuted six other people were commuted too oh so it's not just one by the one no guy. And i don't know if they were deported it didn't really say it just said six others it didn't really name no. names wow so as we know with the point with the mustard gas situation and winston churchill trying to keep it hush hush sometimes it's just serendipity that you find these things because when herland issued his report the navy stepped in and said uh we don't want this released to the public Okay, so you have this report. Now you can't release it to the public, and there it goes. It just disappears until 1977 when uh, 
Somebody is Governor Dewey died in 1971. Someone is going through his papers to organize them. And he comes upon this thing called the Herland Report. He's like, the heck is this? So it never, it wasn't disposed of. He kept it and just had it he in his possession. It. Yep, he had it in his possession. And so someone reads it and goes, uh-oh, you know. And so it's actually released. There's an author who wrote a book in 1977 before. And as we know at the mustard gas story, that story had to be built up because different strands would come out at different times. Uh, so in 1977, there was a book called The Luciano Project. And that was written by an author named Rodney Campbell. He was allowed to see the report. And so they tried it. You know, it's just so funny that if the guy wouldn't have found it clean out the papers, you know, there. I think it was sort of got, I mean, it was talked about at the time, but then it got kind of forgotten. Yeah, so it was essentially just swept under the rug. Memory, it, memory hold, as it were. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, cover, I mean, I almost don't want to call it a cover-up because it's like they didn't actively cover it. They just sort of like, nope, don't talk about it. And that's it. Right. So I guess, I don't know. I, I guess it was sort of successful. I, I think at the time it was happening, there was a lot of pressure on the Navy to do something because there was so much German U-boat activity in the Atlantic and ships constantly being going to the bottom and all that, supplies and that. So I think... S- Maybe somehow out of desperation, they thought, well, who controls all this that we can really rely, and I'm putting this in air quotes for people who can't see, who we can rely on to do this. And so maybe that's how it came about, but it's such a wild story. You, you couldn't really imagine the Navy of today just going into, and who, I mean, who knows? Someone, someone in ex-Navy that listens may just be like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, them just asking, you know, right. a basically crime lords to assist them i thought the most of the funniest part of this story was agents going into these dive bars and <laughs> yeah see mug you, yeah mug you're talking like that i can't i just can't even picture it without laughing i mean no wonder guys were like who are these guys we're not going to talk to you well because they're not they're not acting like people they're not liking acting like they're from their area they're acting they're like pish posh trying to Make it as a regular, you know, right. blue collar worker. And unfortunately, yeah, exactly. And so, and unfortunately, I think there was some um, prejudice involved because they were afraid that the Italian dock, a lot of the dock workers were Italian. Mm-hmm. They thought they would be doing the sabotage. So, you know, so that played into it too, I believe. That, well, they're going to be, you know, because they're probably still loyal to Mussolini and, you know, they're, they just assume that a lot of the stevedores would have entered into the sabotage, but none of them ever did. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting how people's loyalties to a um, quote-unquote home country always shows up during this time. Because I mean, we haven't we haven't gotten to Japanese internment, but that was a similar thing. Um, right. But with um, it, it's it's. And I'm I'm not saying that this prejudice is equal or the same whatsoever, but right. there was the idea that's like this group of people that now live here are going to be, you know, loyal right. to their home country. Right. And so I think there's some of that was playing a role too. But man, when I read this, I was like, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> it just doesn't. 
it almost it does sound like a novel you know well yeah. we said we said that about like like mincemeat we've said a lot of a lot of the stories we talk about are there there are things that are like wow fact is stranger than fiction um right sort of stories like that when when even and i don't want to talk too much about mincemeat but it's like wow that's convoluted <laughs> like it was just like who thought well you know that? we talked about lansky being um sort of relishing his role as a secret agent mm-hmm. i have a feeling that this Haffenden guy was kind of enjoying his role as a sort of crime boss guy suddenly i mean the way he was talking and everything mm-hmm. which i suppose you have to talk to him as they talk like you said you, you know <laughs> the king's english wasn't going to be employed i mean and, yeah. and like i said they weren't ones for subtlety you either did it or you or you suffered the the consequences yeah, it's, it, it's interesting what happens when you give someone just a little bit of governmental support and be like, well, is it justifying what you do? Is it right the right thing for you, um, your friends, your group, your unions? Um, so, and then it all just... Yeah, there's so much more to this story than I even I have. Uh, of a, I mean, in even Herlin document, he says... You know, 73 naval officers and 82 naval enlisted men and civilian agents were actively involved in this. So this wow. wasn't a small operation that required the complete cooperation of the mafia. I mean, it's very clear about that. And, I mean, there, there's one thing that is for sure clear was that there was, there's definitely aided that invasion of Sicily. Um, yes. That, that is something that's clear on here. Cause, Pretty and much. who knows what they would do without that um, information. Yes. For right. that invasion. Yeah, they got a lot of information. Yes, there were some threats thrown in, but I, a lot of people willingly <laughs> gave it up. Just minor threats thrown into there. <laughs> about Lucky Luciano coming to see you, which no one wanted, because <laughs> it was always a bad day after that. So. Oh, dear. Well, you know, what I'm going to be looking forward to as a good day is wherever we're going to be going next. So Scott, where are we going to cruise to next time? I, think, I thought next time, I've always wanted to talk about this guy, and I really haven't. Nikola Tesla. Okay. And, you know, we, we have a lot of things that he, he, he invented that were in his head and stuff. So I thought maybe I'd talk about Nikola Tesla and the particle beam weapon that he invented. Okay. I'll look forward to that one. Particle beams. All right. Uh, hey, hey, Scott. Are, mm-hmm. are you ready for our live show? I'm sorry, live yeah, show? Yeah, our, our live show on April 29th. I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Uh, well, we're doing a live show. Okay. At the Southwest Library mm-hmm. in Kenosha, April 29th, 1 p.m. Okay. You're gonna be there, right? I'll I'll try to be there. Yes. I, I hope you're gonna be there. <laughs> All right. Do come to our live show. We're gonna be going live and cruising through history with you all. Plenty of time for questions. We hope to see you there. 